0: Hey, podcast listeners, Mackenzie here. I wanted to personally thank you for listening and being a part of our community. We couldn't do this show without you. As we shape the next series of the Living Centered Podcast, I wanted to invite you specifically to help us out. We want to hear from you. We're currently in the process of curating a series all around exploring the relationships that make up our lives. Together with various experts, clinicians, and on-site alum, we'll explore the nuances, intricacies, and impact of the relationships within which we all exist. From families of origin to friendships, dating, working relationships, and beyond. We hope to host conversations with guests who bring a definitive and unique perspective. This is where you come in. We want to know your pressing relationship questions. You can submit your questions to podcast at experienceonsite.com and you might just hear an answer on our next series. One of the most amazing
1: things about group for me is that really quickly in groups, what I see is people returning to the first group they were ever a part of, which is your family of origin. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things and all of those parts of us that showed up in our family of origin. If you're with a group and you allow yourself to really sink in, all of those parts start showing up, and they have the chance to be healed. Mm. And and so you don't. I don't get to do that in individual therapy. Yeah. I certainly know the patterns, and I can talk about them, and I'm aware of them. But I don't get to actually feel them arise in the moment, and then have a corrective experience around it. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's a really beautiful and powerful thing about group.
2: Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. And I'm your host, Hannah Warren.
0: Hey, friends. Today, Lindsay and I get to sit down with our VP of Clinical Services, Heather Schnoblin you may recognize Heather from our bonus episode about collective grief a few months ago. After that conversation, we knew we needed to commit a whole episode to getting to know more of the brilliance of Heather. We got to talk all about the beauty, magic, and effectiveness of group work. If you've ever wondered about the onsite experience and what it looks like to be a part of a group experiential program, this is the episode for you. So I can't wait for you to meet our friend, Heather. We're so excited to be sitting down with you, Heather. This is going to be so fun. And I'm excited for everyone to get to know you as you're now leading our clinical team in such a prominent voice at OnSite. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We will get into the what that you do, but at OnSite, we often encourage people to lead out with who they are, do the human being, not the human doing. So will you tell us a little bit about who are you? That's a big question. It's a big question. So maybe <laughs> even really I say, like, question. who were you at 12, and how does that person show up today? Who Who was I at 12? Oh, these are good questions. Well, I'm glad to hear it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think about being a therapist? I thought about it for a short amount of time. Yeah. Okay. Who was I at 12, and how does that person still show up? Incredibly playful. Uh, a lover of nature and the outdoors. And yeah, that person still shows up, I think, for me today.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yep. When you said the lover of the outdoors and nature, I know that's a big part of like who you are. So what did that, have you uh, continued to do that? Where did that love of nature kind of come from?
1: Yeah. So I grew up in rural Colorado on the Western Slope. And for me, anytime things were going wrong in my family and in my household, which uh, seemingly was frequently, I would retreat to the Outdoors for solace, yeah, Uh, and it would it would just it would bring a sense of peace to me. It would bring a sense of just everything was okay. And so I found myself lost in the woods, uh, not actually woods, well, sometimes woods Mm -hmm. of Colorado, (laughs) mostly the mountains of Colorado. There's not too many woods there for peace and for just mm, recentering myself, yeah, and and so that I could go back into my family and and just be a part of it in a way that felt healthier for me. Yeah. And I'm saying all that now. I didn't have the language. For no, of it. course really When not. I was kid, just... a kid, but when I look back on it now, that's what I know I was doing. And I knew I was also using nature as a way to heal for me mm. um, in, a, in a really chaotic world. So, yeah. yeah. And so today, still for me, nature mm-hmm. is a part of healing. Um, it's the place that I think, and why I love it now, and why I love it for work therapeutically, is that I think it's the, place that people can go to and disconnect from everything else that's happening in their life. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I know we were talking about medicators earlier. And so it's that piece. It's the it's a really healthy way for me of of cutting through stuff and finding that peace and finding that calm. And it's the place where, as humans, we can go and, and there's nothing else that infiltrates. Mm-hmm. It's just us and our experience. Yeah. And it's it allows me to get really quiet and discern what's really happening and not not react but be able to respond
0: Mm. you talked about like the chaos that you were experiencing when I think about nature there's kind of a duality of there's chaos in nature but it's very ordered and so
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I wonder what that like did for you to go the seasons are so cyclical and I don't know I just think that nature must have been a calming place where it's not always calming it's wild too and Mm -hmm. so that kind of just the duality is interesting to me. Yeah. So then, how did you become a therapist? Yeah. How did that? Like, <laughs> how did
1: I become a therapist? So, my my father was a therapist, mm-hmm. and so I think it was one of those things that I knew from a really young age that I wanted to be a therapist, which mm-hmm. is really odd. I can honestly remember in sixth grade somebody asking me, "What do you want to do when you grow up?" And I was like, "I want to be a therapist." Um, and I remember the teacher's response, like, "What?" Yeah. Is this person for real? I mean, who says that in sixth grade? So um, and so I it just was something that I feel— also, other than nature, I feel really connected to humans, and I mm-hmm. feel really connected to people's stories, and I feel really touched by sitting mm-hmm. with people and hearing and being present with whatever it is that they want to share. And so it's just—it seemed like a natural— it seemed like a natural movement for me. Mm-hmm. There was a moment— that I thought I wanted to do sports psychology, mm. and then I quickly realized I didn't want to do that. That it really for me, just listening and holding space, sacred space for people's stories to be witnessed and to be healed, is just something that's incredibly special to me.
2: Mm. So, yeah, I, when I think about you, Heather, you like are such a peaceful person to yes. be around, and I feel like you really embody like, a centeredness. Mm-hmm. We talk about, like, the Living Centered Program, the Living Centered Podcast. I feel like that, like, it just, like, flows so naturally out of you. Just this sense of just calm mm-hmm. and presence mm-hmm. and groundedness. And I'm curious, have there been seasons where that's been, like, harder for you to manifest? Or is it, like, you're just kind of have found your way and are in the perfect place position. And
1: No, yeah, no. There's definitely been seasons where it's hard and challenging, and I think still sometimes in my life it is hard and challenging. And I and there was something in my early 30s for me that really mindfulness mm-hmm. and nature are the things that kind of clicked for me in my early 30s that really helped ground me in a way that that other things haven't, and also doing my own work. You know, I came came to Onsite and did my own personal work for about 12 years in a row. Mm. And I think just really allowing myself to be vulnerable enough to get into those dark places and to be able to sit with those dark places and come out the other side. Um, I heard somebody say it the other day, and I won't take credit for it, because what I always used to say is the only way out is through. Mm -hmm. And I heard somebody say it the other day, the only way out is is going in. Mm. And I and I love that even more, right? Yeah, that's, that's how great. I get out of it is to go in. And so that's what I gave myself the gift to do finally in my late 20s and early 30s is to really mm. take a minute to go in. And, and that has allowed me to remain more calm and more grounded as things mm. arise. I certainly still, my heart rate still goes up and I can still come back to the skills and the things that I know that keep me grounded and
2: calm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just interesting being with you. I'm like, what What part of it is like the work and what part of it is personality, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. you really have the blend of both, yeah. you know, and it's just a gift to be around you. And it, it makes me so grateful that you are in the position that you are in on the mm-hmm. team, which is really caring for our clinical team and sort of helping guide like the vision of where we're headed clinical, clinically because yeah. – Again, you just kind of exude what I think like that centeredness that many of us are seeking. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that you have the voice that you do at the table.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks. Um, you mentioned that you came and did work at OnSite for 12 years, and that's, that's a lot of group time. <laughs> yeah. I would love to talk a little bit about group work and why we love it at OnSite and maybe why you love it because… I think initially when I first started learning about our group experiences before I had done one myself, the idea of it feels like it won't be as, quote unquote, productive. It won't be as impactful. And I think even the way that we approach mental health a lot is a very individualistic approach of I need to go in and get this thing for me and get out of it. So let's talk about group work Uh, and maybe some of the fear someone that might have around that. Yeah. Even just that idea of it's not as productive or I can't get as much out of it if I'm in a group of other people. Yeah. Well, so first
1: I'm going to say this, that one of the most amazing things about group for me is that really quickly in groups what I see is people returning to the first group they were ever a part of, which is your family of origin. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so all of those things and all of those parts of us that showed up in our family of origin, if you're with a group and you allow yourself to really sink in, all of those parts start showing up and they have the chance to be healed. Mm. And, and so you don't. I don't get to do that in individual therapy. Yeah. I certainly know the patterns and I can talk about them and I'm aware of them, but I don't get to actually feel them arise in the moment and then have a corrective experience around it. And so mm. I think that that's a really beautiful and powerful thing about group. Yeah. The other thing that I love about group is for certain folks, and and I tend to be one of those, I tend to be more of a quiet, reserved person, Mm -hmm. especially in a therapy group. I'm going to sit and observe for a minute, make sure it's safe before I show up. But even in doing that, when I witness other people's vulnerability and I witness their stories— I feel touched and I start my healing process because I start hearing the similarities between our stories Mm -hmm. and I start making those connections. And so it creates more connection with other people, which creates more connection with self. Mm. And I think that that is so incredibly powerful about groups and things that people often overlook is, is that think that they're not going to be as powerful because it's not just solely focused on us. Mm -hmm. And I say it's equally as powerful and sometimes more powerful because it's not solely focused on us. Yeah. Because then we get at the stuff that we're not aware of.
2: Yeah. It it struck me, Mackenzie, when you asked the question how, like, individualistic our society has become. Yeah. That we think, like, our success or our Mm -hmm. goals are sort of achieved With the self focus and a self lens. And I think that my personal experience, like the power of group was exactly what you said, Heather. Like it, like being present to other people's stories unlocked things Mm -hmm. for me as an observer Mm -hmm. that I would have like never found just going inside myself Mm -hmm. because I don't, wouldn't have enough. Yeah, like things to play off of, kind mm-hmm. of. I just am not, I'm wired where I'm not much of a verbal processor. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it takes sometimes being in the world, it's like when you watch a good movie and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I feel deeply. Like, what is yep. this? that It gave me like things to bounce off of and to have curiosity about mm-hmm. within myself that then I could react to kind of like threads to pull, you yes. know, that you're kind of like where where is this? What is what's what's this tied to? And I just think about so much of the issues that have popped up for me in my life and then even just systemically, so many of the issues in our world are about like problems in relationships. Mm-hmm. I worked for a nonprofit once and they called the way that they frame poverty was, like, around broken relationships, Mm -hmm. either with our higher power or with Mm -hmm. people or with our environment, and that those things are, like, what creates poverty. And Mm -hmm. I feel like so much of the passion that I have for this work is because I feel like what I experienced six years ago in a Living Centered Program group is sort of the balm that's needed for the world. It's like yeah. we need to be able to see people mm-hmm. that are strangers or enemies with a different lens, and I feel like that's also what the group
0: yeah. work
2: kind of does. It. You begin to realize like everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. You begin to have grace for yourself and for them and their story.
0: Yeah.
2: It's just so cool and yeah. powerful. It is,
1: and I love. I love that. <laughs> I love that you said the balm for what society needs. Yeah. Like that's such a that's such a powerful statement. And I think it is, is that we all have our experiences and our own personal experience is unique to us. Mm-hmm. However, our experiences are similar to other people's. Yeah. And so no one knows what it's like to be me going through my situation, but they certainly can have gone through almost an identical situation and have their own pieces and parts that come up. And so when they hear my story. It also ties in and connects to their story, and that—that's the power of group. I, mean, I sit in our lectures uh, and listen for the LCP, and every time—and I've listened to them a bunch of times—and every time I leave, and I'm like, oh, that's something. Like, I have this little bit of how I show up in relationship, mm. and how I show up with my significant other, you know? And it's—and it's so true—is that we are all connected in the way that we experience things and do things. Our experience is unique, but the experience is not unique. Yeah.
0: yeah. One of the favorite exercises that we do in group work at Onsite is at the end when someone does a piece of work or something shares or anytime something happens, we go around the room and you have to say, I know what it's like to do X or I related to this because of you know this. And we can't say, oh, I feel really bad for you. I'm sorry you had to go through that. You say, oh, I know what it's like to feel alone. Mm-hmm. You pull out something from their experience that you can relate to yourself. And I think that exercise in itself has created so much capacity in me to find empathy in mm-hmm. situations. When I'm frustrated, like I did it yesterday, I was frustrated at someone and I was able to take a step back and say, Hey, I don't agree with this action they're doing, but I know what it's like to feel underwater. Yeah. And that makes sense. It doesn't excuse their behavior, but it creates empathy. And I think, like what you were talking about, that balm that we need is an ability to relate to someone else's experience. And when we continually live in our own bubble. We don't have the understanding of someone else's experience. And I can even think in my own group that I at my Living Center program. There is someone who represents a type of person who frustrates me the most, but I have so much more empathy mm-hmm. because I know their story. I've seen their eyes and it's hard to hate people up close, as Brene Brown says. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you mentioned how we can like internalize our own experience, but then witnessing it does something different. So, what does kind of being removed from my own verbal process or my own trying to turn a situation over and over, and then seeing it in the lens of someone else? Like, is there a somatic reason for that? Mm. So, I'm sure there's a really so there's a real good way.
1: science. <laughs> yeah, science is a big way. And what I'll say, you know, for for me and from my experience has. As a therapist and and working in this world is that if I don't have compassion for myself Mm -hmm. and I see somebody else struggling with something and I can have compassion for them, then I can find that compassion within myself and I can touch it easier. So for me as a human, it's much easier for me to say, oh, wow, Lindsay, you're really struggling with this thing and I can have compassion for you than it is for me to say, oh, Heather, you're really struggling with this thing. I can— I can tend to be really harsh for myself. And so Mm -hmm. by that connection and witnessing it outside of myself, it allows me to then turn that compassion inward, uh, which is what healing is all about, is having compassion for others and for self because we're humans and and we're not going to get this right all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so being able to hold people in empathy, and that includes myself and my own shortcomings, and then figure out a different way and healthier way to do things. So I don't know if that's answered
0: your question. but No, that's really good. I just...
2: Yeah. I wondered, too, something I'm sort of currently experiencing around, like, doing some therapy is... You also said
0: we wanted to just have this time so you could do um, therapy for us. (laughs) Right, right.
2: (laughs) So now you get to fix me, Heather. (laughs) No, but I've realized kind of in, like, with a therapist that I've been seeing that I am in a season that's like just really full and busy mm-hmm. and I know my instincts are like super self-protective all the time like Enneagram speak my self-preservation instinct is a way above my number in yeah. terms of how I operate and so my therapist sort of said to me like I can't figure out if you're really okay or you just are you know like in, functioning super well or if it is like that is sort of your way of coping mm-hmm. that, like, everything's in order. And 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 I realized, like, oh, I'm sure there's, like, work that I could do with her that would be great work, but I need to, like, have the space and the time to go deeper within myself. Yeah. And, again, without having someone else to react off of or something that unlocks it for me, it's just hard to access it yes. sometimes. And then my I also... There's like when it's just you and one other person, there's like not as much accountability. No, you yes. own the narrative. Yes. Yeah. It's like I can kind <laughs> of like just make up. Yeah. It, you know, like yes. be a little performative. Yeah. Yeah. Although that's such a waste of time and energy. I don't know why, you know, I would do that, but it I catch myself doing it. Like what's the easiest way to get through this session, you know? Oh yeah. And so I feel like that's the other thing about group that's so helpful is just that you especially when it's like at an on site group where Mm -hmm. you're together for six days, is you start to see people in a different way and become an accountability Mm -hmm. system for them leaning into the harder parts of themselves to access. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that that's well said and I think that that's exactly right when you're sitting in a group and you start to feel comfortable and you've shared some of your deepest wounds mm-hmm. is that people are going to hold you accountable and they're going to ask you to to show up in a different way for yourself and for the group. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one on one you can you can spin the story however you want to spin it and We all know when we sit in a room with other people, and again, even if you haven't been in group therapy, go back to your family of origin. No matter how long you haven't lived in your family of origin, when you go back for holidays or you go back for certain things, you can feel a difference in yourself and how you show up. And maybe you say things shortly that you wouldn't normally say Mm -hmm. outside the world. And so that's going to start happening in group. And people are going to hold you accountable in a really loving way, different maybe than your family of origin did and was able to hold you accountable. And so it's really it's really powerful. And I'll I'll share this, my experience of my relationship with my mom. She and I have done lots of therapy over the years. But there was a long period of time from my middle adolescence to my late 20s that I couldn't go stay at her house. Mm. And because when I stayed at her house, no matter how much work I had done on myself, the second I walked into her house, I became this jerky 12 or 13-year-old, we talked about earlier. I would put my feet up on the thing. I'd be like, get me a sandwich or whatever, like whatever I did when I was an adolescent. And I was like, I do not like myself. And my mom would quickly fall into that codependent role of doing what Mm. it was that she thought I needed to do. And then it would escalate into us having just awful fights. And I I left and I was like, I do not like the person I am. Yeah. And so I had to really start delving in and doing that work, and the best work I found was in groups where people could reflect some of that behavior to me and that I could hear it because I couldn't hear it from my mom yeah, because she was too close to the situation, and we both were triggering each other. But when I sat in front of other people and with other people and got really vulnerable and really scared and said, this is what comes up for me, and this is what it's about, and I don't want to be this human, then they held me accountable in this really gentle, respectful, mm-hmm. and loving way. Mm. So.
0: That's so powerful. I was going to ask for a tangible example because I was really intrigued by the idea of kind of replicating our family systems and how you can have so much intensity and so much intimacy with people that you've never even met. And it's even a blip of time often in a group therapeutic experience if you're doing it outside of onsite. It could be a really, um, if, if someone's creating a safe container, it's just for a couple of hours or, you know, a, a brief moment, but you're able to tap into something and then lift back out and maybe never see these people again. And at onsite, you do it for this really concentrated amount of time. And then maybe you don't continue the relationship with that group later. So I'm wondering what it is about maybe the anonymity that happens that you can kind of tap into your group. You're, you're like family of origin situations and create so much intimacy so fast and that you're not, not the triggering piece, right, where I feel like I can't do my own work because I'm, I'm in dynamics and people are reflecting back to me in that family of origin rather than me just existing in it, right? Like I don't, I don't think I have a question there, but I'm just really intrigued by this idea of family systems and maybe what are some of the roles that come up.
1: So in family systems, when family systems are operating at their most healthy, optimal way, yeah. certain roles start to come into play. And this happens in most family systems because if there's an illness or, you know, somebody gets injured or something like that, we all kind of move in and play certain roles. Where they become dysfunctional or not helpful is when we get pigeonholed into those roles mm-hmm. and they continue for long periods of time. And so some of those roles may include somebody that's the golden child. So it's that child that no matter what, they're doing well. And they're they're kind of the face forward for the family. Mm. And so it's that person that's out there, maybe the straight-A student, doing all the things right while internally the family system is a little bit dysfunctional and falling apart. Yeah. But that person feels that pressure. Like, I'm the one that has to keep up this, mm. the facade of our family. So there's the family hero. There's a the scapegoat. There's the— the clown or somebody that is always bringing levity that, to the situation. In really dysfunctional families, you can have somebody that is that operates as an addict, which mm-hmm. that can also look like codependency as well, or mm-hmm. substance use. And so those are some of the the dynamics. And so in our families of origin— If I was the clown in my family of origin, which is anytime things got tough or people were fighting, if I made jokes to bring levity to the situation so that to diffuse it so there wasn't fights. Yeah. When I'm going into a group, probably my first go to is the second it starts to get a little bit uh, tough in there emotionally for me. I'm going to start making jokes and I'm going to try to bring some levity to the situation.
0: And in a place— is Heather talk, Was Heather in my group room? That's <laughs> what I'm really wondering. She's talking I was. About I have you cameras. You, you got cameras yeah. on there? Mm-hmm. Go on. Uh,
1: yeah, and so when that happens, and typically speaking, in the groups at OnSite, you've developed this trust is that somebody's going to say, hey, Heather— like what's really going on for you? Or they're gonna, mm-hmm. or they may not, they may not be able to say it that they may get pretty sharp back with me because I'm being a, a Taking smart you out of it, mm-hmm. yeah. taking me out of it. And so then I have the opportunity to look at do what is this serving me still? Is this role that I had in my family, which served me really well? It protected me. All of the f- roles in family systems serve us. Mm-hmm. And I think that we often have shame about our roles and they don't, they're really helpful but is it still serving me? And do I want to still carry this role? And is this how I want to show up in relationship? Um, mm. And so that's what the group does is that when when those things start to show up, your group has built security and safety that people feel comfortable to start having those
0: conversations and talking about it. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of gracefulness in that statement of it makes sense, they work. Mm -hmm. And even to say they make sense in a certain situation, but you don't, I think it's the pigeonhole piece Mm -hmm. for me because I think I would definitely align with the clown and the humor Mm -hmm. because I work really well with diffusing the tension. But it's when I do that in moments of trying to escape or trying to not feel my feelings or, you know, keep everyone in a specific place and it keeps me from showing up and being authentic with myself. But I appreciate you saying that it makes sense and that it's actually healthy in certain situations, but not all the time the the pigeonhole. Hey, friends. These days, it feels like we're all grasping for ways to relieve stress, burnout, depression, and anxiety. Many of us have come to terms with the fact that something about the way we're living isn't working anymore. We know something has to change, but we're not sure what. At OnSite, we believe you already have everything you need inside of you to live a life of deep peace, purpose, and belonging. You just have to rediscover it. We believe it's possible to find the breakthrough and healing you're longing for, not just a band-aid to cover up your issues. As you've heard throughout this episode, our world-renowned group workshops remove you from the distractions of everyday life and provide you with the environment you need to fully embrace the process and engage wholeheartedly in the healing you deserve. If something in this conversation has resonated with you and you want to explore the group experience a little more, we have two ways you can connect with us and determine which group program might be right for you. First, we've created a resource at onsiteworkshops.com slash exploreprograms, or you can connect directly with our team at 1-800-341-7432. You deserve to be well.
2: I just am thinking about roles that we play, and just as we grow up, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like how do we find our role? And then what are you know? It sounds great to be the golden child, but I'm sure that that has a downside, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> really a yeah. lot of pressure. <laughs> Lots I of would pressure, <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> so uh, how do I, yeah, help? Like as a parent, how do I
1: mm. not
2: pigeonhole a child into a role mm. and let them sort of be The fullness of themselves and not a caricature of a role.
1: Mm, That's such a great question. Well, I think it's mostly about just having conversations about what's happening. You know, if you start seeing somebody, and again, I think it brings up that piece that you said earlier, Lindsay, when you were talking about, is this, Heather, is some of this your personality or some of this the work that you've done? And so we all have our personalities. I'm not suggesting people that are funny and hilarious or always the clown or doing it from a, a place of self-preservation but so it's just getting curious and also noticing that if you you know in in your family if your children are have one particular role and you notice that when things get tough they buckle down and they really go into their role even more so if things mm. are struggling or if the family's struggling or something's coming up in the family and you notice that that golden child is really putting themselves in their room and really trying to figure out how to get all straight A's and go to the the best college and do all of those things, is just checking in. Just saying, yeah. hey, I, are you doing okay? I'm just noticing maybe there's a little bit more stress going on for you. Whatever it is, is just having those conversations. Because a lot of times, especially as an adolescent, you're not going to be able to understand that. You just know this is what I need to do. This is what makes me okay, and this is what makes my family okay. Mm. And, and I think that that's the most important thing to think about for, for me, from the adolescent or or child places that that really it's coming from a place of wanting everyone in the family to be okay, including Mm -hmm. themselves. And so how do we just sit down and have conversations about that and let them know that that's not what's needed in this moment, that they get to also have their feelings or that Mm -hmm. their parents get to have their feelings? And how do we move through it in a healthy way?
2: That's good. Yeah, it's, you know, I have an, my 18-month-old son. <laughs> but it, I, I realized, like, I think that sort of performing was just a way forward in my family that was, like, mm-hmm. you know, yep. like, optics were always very important. Yeah. And so it's interesting, you know, he's learning to, like, say words and, like, do things, like, hand motions to songs. And... It brings him joy, you know, like yeah. to do those things with me or to do them for people and get a reaction. But it worries me, like am I sort of turning you into this little performer? Mm. So how do I, yeah? How do I not make? How do I not screw you up, kid? So yeah, it's I just, think you are going
0: to screw him up.
2: Oh yeah, I'm sure I will. Give yourself permission to yeah. do that.
0: Yeah, therapy. Yeah, start right. the therapy fund. Yeah, right. As parents,
1: how? There's no way.
0: You're also human. There's no way for you not to do something wrong. Yeah. But I think even asking the question is Mm -hmm. important. Like you're not even, you're not treating him like a puppet or a performer because you're recognizing it enough and you're giving him permission to be outside of that. Like I was with you the other day and he
1: didn't want to do it. And you're like, okay, you know. Yeah. I I think the permission and consent, right, is Mm -hmm. asking, learning to ask as he gets older. Do you want to do this? Or you know, is that I think that's a huge piece as as parents and humans that have any people in our lives, especially adolescents and children, is that getting consent for them to do instead of it just being about performance. Mm.
0: Yeah. I love that you are asking that question at 18 months. So. Yeah. It's important. <laughs> <I love that laughs> like, you know, I feel
2: like you're well, it's just as yeah. funny, especially oh. like having like grandparents be remote yeah. and so mm-hmm. like on FaceTime, they want to like see all the things he's mm-hmm. doing. And so it's like you run through like these are all his new tricks. I I totally Um, resonate with that. (laughs) Yeah. And so how do I sort of set him up to be able to be whoever he wants to be and not just, yeah, Yeah. just a little puppet for us all?
0: I think it's really something I'm experiencing. So I have a two-and-a-half-year-old and and I have a four-month-old of just starting to uncover who they are. And there's so much that's coming up for me with my two-and-a-half-year-old that I catch myself saying things to her that were said to me that were hurtful or harmful. Like, mm-hmm. why are you throwing a fit? Or you're being dramatic. And I have to catch myself. And it's a reparenting to myself to say, hey, that's okay that you are. Like, your needs weren't met. Or you were trying to express something. Like, I don't know. It's been an interesting process in mirroring that for her, trying to show up for her, but then also showing up for my little self in the, in the process. Oh, mm, that's yeah. sweet. Yeah, because… You know, she's got a lot of feelings. She's, she's my child. Yeah. And that's good. And even even not putting that on her. I'm
2: saying, oh, you're just like me. I'm like,
0: no, you are just who you are. And there are similarities, but, yeah.
2: Do when you, have- you were talking about roles, Heather, earlier, like, do all families have roles? Like, all people in all families have kind of roles, like the ones you mentioned? Yeah. Or is that, think- like, an effect of trauma or adversity yeah. or
1: So people have roles in their family, and where it becomes unhealthy and dysfunctional and that pigeonhole starts is Mm -hmm. when there is trauma or there is, yeah, there's something that's impacting the family system in a greater capacity. But certainly we all have, we all kind of fit into our little roles because, again, it's part of personality, you know, birth order plays into it, all of those things. But where it becomes unhealthy and dysfunctional is when it becomes, that's the the static way that we move through this this life and this family system. Is that the person who is the family hero isn't okay to also have a really bad day. Mm-hmm. You know, that that becomes a problem in a family system. That's where it gets really dysfunctional. But we all have, yeah, we all have our roles and ways of being.
0: I'm interested, you're talking about kind of replaying those family systems in a group setting with people who are not your family. And then I wondered in what situations... Because it feels like people are all doing their own work. You'd want them to all kind of do their own work. But then how do you start – can you heal some of those family system wounds within your actual family system? Oh, yeah. Like that kind of makes me nervous. And how do you – what type of situation would that be healthy to kind of enter into that or invite someone into that? You even mentioned that you did therapy with your mom. Like, yeah, that feels so scary. the people have to. Yeah, it's yeah. real scary. Uh,
1: <laughs> the people have to be willing to do it. Yeah, you know, you have to, and you have to feel safe enough. You have to get to a place. So for me and my mom, what we both had to do is get to a place where we were safe enough internally that we could be able to have the hard conversations mm. and know and and not get into a place of taking it personal. Mm. My mom also comes from a long line of alcoholism and trauma and just horrific things that happened for her growing up. And so she had to get to a place where she had done enough work that she could sit with me and and me not trigger all of the awful things that she thought about herself as a parent. Mm. And so yeah, it was it took a long it took a long time and a lot of conversation and it's really scary yeah. and we still don't get it right all the time sure. uh, we get it right a lot more than we used to and whenever i am saying right and wrong i am also using air quotes right yeah. is that we get we do it better than we used to do and we're healthier about our relationship than we ever have been before and it's and it's scary and it's mm-hmm. hard and i think to answer your question the healing of it starts when i start doing my own healing and i go into a group or individual and start really doing my own healing, that it allows me to show up differently and have different conversations with my mom Mm -hmm. and request different things from her. And to be able for me not to get into that reactionary point that I used to get with her when I was younger, but to be able to be calm like I am now and and be able to be the adult grounded Mm -hmm. human being
0: that I am and not revisit it like I'm a 12-year-old or 13-year-old. Yeah. And from a relationship standpoint, I think— I have found in my own life and anecdotally that when you start to do that own work, you kind of go back into those relationships and change the rules. Mm-hmm, that's and right. so it's not always met great. Like I'm showing up as my adult mm-hmm. self and I've done this work and people still expect you to show up in the other way. Yes. And So that I think is uncomfortable too. And I just want to normalize that for people that there's uncomfortableness on both sides of this. Of If I'm mm-hmm. doing my work and you're not, then I'm still going to show up and I'm still going to be this person and it's not going to be
1: comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I always I have this visual that I use in my head and I describe mm-hmm. when I'm talking to families the mobiles over baby be, baby's yeah, beds. Yeah, yeah. I know you all are real familiar. So that's the homeo that's like a homeostasis of a family system, is that mm-hmm. everybody has its role and everybody knows what they're operating in. And when someone does work, it's as if you attached a rock to one side of that mobile. Mm. And so it's completely it's not the homeostasis has been upended and uprooted. And so the way to get to homeostasis is either the person who's done work discards all the work that they've done, and they go back into that role, and then that that mm. family's back at homeostasis, even if it's unhealthy, or the rest of the family or different family members start to do their own work so that that homeostasis readjusts, and it's different, and it's balanced in a different way, because it's really precarious. I mean, we are all in relationship with each other in, in our families of origin, whether we're talking to each other or not, mm-hmm. we are still connected. Mm.
0: So. That's such a good visual. And the homeostasis isn't health. That's like kind of what I was thinking that's right. too.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: you can get rid of the it's health balance, to get back maybe. to your Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the normal, homeostasis is,
1: yeah, is, yeah, quote unquote, normal or the balance for that family. And it can look really healthy and it can look really unhealthy.
2: Hmm. Heather, I mentioned that you are kind of new to your role at OnSite, but you're not new to OnSite. Like, how mm-hmm. long have you been in the OnSite sort of Yeah, ethos? so, I mean,
1: doing my work f- for since 2000, Amelia and I always debate this, if it's 2009 or 2010, but s- since then. And then I've been a guide. I started in 2016 being a mm-hmm. guide and doing um, guide work and coming in and
2: doing that. So, so a little while. Yeah, what has it meant to you to come in and kind of lead the clinical team? Mm-hmm. It's a huge honor,
1: first mm-hmm. off, to even to even be considered or or thought of for this role. I mean, it's a it's really on site is uh, and the word that I will always use is is just a really magical place, mm-hmm. magical in the way that space is held for people to really do a deep dive into their work and so that is it's just incredibly healing and cathartic and connecting all at the same time and so to be able to come in and be asked to come in and be the leader of the clinical team is humbling and honoring and i don't really know that i have other words for it mm-hmm. I, and and exciting it's exciting because i believe in this work yeah wholeheartedly and with my entire being. I believe in the work that happens at Onsite. I believe in the work that happens in the group room. And I've seen it and felt the the change and the experience in my life. And so it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Well, we're excited to have you.
0: Yeah. 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 I think we're kind of in a unique time globally, culturally, where you kind of came in right now. And so what are you seeing at Onsite that is needed in this time? I think nine and Nine, ten Americans say we're in a mental health crisis, mm-hmm. like loneliness epidemic. Yep. we can kind of stat all like say all the stats, but I think right now a lot of us are feeling lonely, and a lot of us are feeling heavy, and we're not exactly sure what to do with that and so how do you see on site as being kind of a a player in helping people find themselves? Mm. well, I think just that what you said is that.
1: Like we're helping people find them way, but ba- their way back to themselves. Yeah, and I'm going to throw anxiety in there. Yeah, besides I'll loneliness say, yeah. and isolation, is that that is huge and incredible right now? And I think anxiety uh, leads to more isolation mm-hmm. and more loneliness, and a fear. And so, you know, I think that on site, what what we are positioned to do, and what I I want to do, is to start bridging that loneliness mm-hmm. with connection Connect, again connection to self and connection to other people um, so that people's network expands and that they feel more equipped to deal with what comes their way the fear mm-hmm. the anxiety the worry all of those things because they're huge right now um, and so that's how I see on site supporting people mm. is connecting back to self and others
0: That's so okay. good and um, how do people start to find some of this? We, obviously, not everyone can come and do a group experience, but we do believe that community is an essential part of this healing. And like you were saying, anxiety leads to more isolation and more isolation leads to more loneliness and more anxiety. And it just becomes this perpetual thing. And how, what would be your encouragement for people who Kind of at the start of that process to say I don't have safe people in my life to talk about, or my family's not a safe space, or I don't even know where to even start with all this work and group work feels intimidating because I don't want to be around people. So,
1: yeah. So if my first response is to reach out for connection mm-hmm. in whatever way that that feels appropriate and feels like people can do. And finding finding someone locally, a mm-hmm. therapist yeah. to start with. Um, and finding those resources. Because what a therapist will do is is help find resources, help find if there are groups in the area, looking at what other ways that you can uh, work on building your own skill set to manage what's happening for you and really help you get underneath that stuff to be able to start reaching out and doing more commu- in the community
0: and connecting yourself to the community. I know we've talked a lot about group therapy in this mm-hmm. particular episode. And yeah, I think. What are the opportunities outside of an on-site experience where you could do group? Like, what does that look like in other settings?
1: Yeah, so there are definitely people that run groups yeah. in cities and towns. And it's, again, just connecting with local resources and local therapists that would know what types of groups are running. Yeah. And certainly there are people maybe run a six-week anxiety group where you mm-hmm. go for one hour a week and you're— you're learning to manage and build skills around managing anxiety so reaching out i think in local communities to therapists that can really help connect you to resources is important
0: yeah i wanted to bring it back at the very beginning you talked about mindfulness and how that's been a big part of your journey and i've been noodling this whole time to think how i could ask you about it and i'm just going to ask what does mindfulness look like for you mm, yeah it's <laughs> a great that's a <laughs> great question
1: what does, how much time do we have? Know, right? <laughs> what does mindfulness look like to me? So what is helpful to me is when I, so when I first thought about mindfulness or was, was introduced to it years and years ago, it was really daunting because what I had in my mind are people that meditated for eight hours a day and yeah. like nothing ever worried them and their mind was super calm. And I'm like, well, I'm never going to get there. Yeah. So mindfulness looks like to me is being really present with what's mm. going on for me connected. I really connect it back to my breathing, is that in the moment, can I stay connected to my breathing? And how am I feeling? Mm. And and I can be mindfulness when I'm walking through the grocery store. I can be mindful when I'm driving. I can be mindful when I'm, I mean, anything. It's, it's about being present with my breath, being present with what I'm feeling. And and staying connected and focused in the moment to what's going on for me and not trying to make it go away and not mm-hmm. trying to make it be something else, but really staying connected to breath in this moment. That's mm-hmm. what mindfulness means to me. That's
0: good. Again, I'm just selfishly asking. I mean, we're just, yeah. how do we get therapy in this moment? But I think yeah. we it's it's just a buzzword that we hear so often. People just talk about mindfulness. And I do think my initial thought is. This unwavering, like, Mm. calm, peace. And what I'm hearing you say is I'm not actually making the worry go away. I'm not making the anxiety go away. I'm just saying, hey, I'm present with you in it. That's right. And I'm here, and it's not about reaching something else and just being here. Yeah. I have a little sign
1: in my kitchen at, at home that says peace, and it says it doesn't mean to be in a place where there is no fear or no anxiety it's about being in those places and still being peaceful within. Mm. And so good. that's what it means is that that's, those places are going to exist. I'm going to have fear. I'm going to have anxiety. I'm going to have worry. I'm going to have anger. I'm going to have frustration. And how do I be present with it and still remain peaceful and calm?
2: So good. So good. Yeah. It, when you were thinking, when you are talking about the peace thing, the thing that kind of came to mind, to circle it back to the group work, mm-hmm. is that, you know, like when you're in a group of people – You don't get to pick a lot of Mm -mm. times who's in the group with you. Like, you'll sign up for a grief group. And there always is someone that sort of makes you need to find your inner peace and, like, become sort of both empathetic and resilient but also curious about, Mm -hmm. like, what caused them to be this way and what Mm -hmm. causes me to react this way. And so I think, yeah, it's that peace is that inner Uh, ability to stay centered and calm Yes, in the midst of being with people that are hard or being in a world that's hard. Mm -hmm. So good.
1: Yeah, and it's hard. And in group work, and and I'm even going to say, if you work in an agency with other folks, it's Mm -hmm. also you're part of a group. So group work, friendships, uh, work, anywhere, you are going to come across people that are a mirror for you of some work and some healing that you need to do will 100% happen. Yeah. Um, and so how do you also learn from that, take those lessons, and, and grow internally and not just get resistant of, like, I can't be in this group? Mm-hmm. you know? And I think that happens for people is that when groups show up and start doing work and it's like, oh, I'm, tr- I'm triggered by this or this is bringing this up, I need to leave groups. And it's like, what would happen if you sat with it And you sat through it and you learned something about yourself and you learned how to show up differently in this world for yourself Mm. and in relationship with folks that that can push your buttons or trigger you because those people are going to be be around in the world and you're going to run into them
2: yeah Mm -hmm. and that's what the world needs you know yeah Yeah. that's the balm that you were talking about yeah there it is yeah yeah
0: Everyone loved hearing from you because I think we're going to tap you to do it again. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I
1: really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If Onsite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800 Three four one seven four three two, or visit onsiteworkshops.com.